Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. It's a great day to worship. I uh, have just gotten back um, from Colorado, actually. Robert and Stephanie send their love. They are still there. And uh, we were at a gathering of, wow, uh, international gathering of missionaries and Christian workers from all over the world that are part of our spiritual family, Antioch. Antioch is a, is a group uh, working in 25 countries, over 67 groups of people that All People's Church is a part of. And it was just awesome to hear different stories of what God is doing throughout the world. And can I get a few stage lights on too, please? Whoever's helping with the lights this morning. Thank you. Um, Antioch was a great group of people that we're excited to partner with. And this church, also All People's Church, has been sending out teams of missionaries all summer to different parts of the earth. We've been to Dominican Republic, Haiti, Lebanon, France, Thailand, Indonesia right now, and then Miami in a few weeks. So it's been a busy summer for us. But if you want to catch up with what's been going on, we have a blog that you can read some of the testimonies on. And we've announced it before, but the Indonesia just put a new post on there. So I thought you might want to see it. As a reminder, the URL is apcnations.blogspot.com. apcnations.blogspot.com. We have a little fire on the stage, not just for fun, but to remind you of the name of our series, which is Keep the Home Fires Burning. Just as we're sending so many people to the nations this summer through our church, we also want to be aware that here at home, the spiritual family of all people's church, we have some things in our heart that need to be cultivated, that need to be developed, and that need to be brought to the Lord so that he can continue to transform us in the spiritual family of all people's church. That's the vision of our series. That's why we're here this morning. Robert will be continuing the series again next week. So, you guys ready to get started? Awesome. Good to see so many friends and friendly faces this morning. Some of you may know that my family and I recently got back from helping lead one of our School of Transformation trips this summer. School of Transformation is our, our ministry school we have here at the church to Lebanon. And I just have to tell you, it was an incredible, life-changing trip. It, there was honestly, it's like no trip I've ever been on. It was fun. I loved all the history of the nations. It was probably my favorite trip ever. This was seeing God move and incredible things happen. And we continue to hear testimonies of what's going on in Lebanon. Actually, I was just with the guy that we were partnering with there in Lebanon uh, this week in Colorado, and he was telling me about the different life groups that have been started based on our time there. So it was a, it was a powerful trip. We did a lot of evangelism, a lot of sharing on the street, and we also got a few free days to ourselves. And on these free days, we had the privilege to go to an old French a crusader castle. You guys heard of the Crusades, right? So a bunch of Europeans went to the Middle East, and there were some wars there. And we got to go to this castle and stand on a hill overlooking the ancient mountain of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon. Say Hermon. Okay, not Hermon like with an A, but with an O. Hermon, okay? And so Mount Hermon is one of those places we read about in the Bible. It's kind of an ancient location, and it's famous because it's one of the places that scholars believe that Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, or he was transfigured before his disciples. And so we're going to read that story to start off this morning as I talk to you about my experience at Mount Hermon, what God spoke to me through that, and we get into our message. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 9, 28 through 32. Luke 9, 28 through 32. Our ushers always walk down the middle because we love to give people Bibles. We've had the privilege of giving many people their first Bible here at the church. And yeah, we love doing that. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll pass you one and we'll get going here. And I believe, wonderful, we have it. Awesome. Luke 9, 28 to 32. I'll read it for us. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. That's Mount Hermon. 
As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Just what was happening at your morning, at your house this morning, right? Okay, keep going. Two, Mos- two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Thank you. We on now? Hey, how's it going? I feel like a radio personality now. Awesome. See you on K All Peoples. Okay. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him. Okay, here's the summary. Jesus and his disciples have been really busy. Okay, the beginning of Luke 9, they go on the first mission trip. And so they're out sharing the gospel amongst people. And then they get some bad news. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has died. So they're grieving, and they need some time alone to pray, get refreshed, and experience God. So that's the context here. And so Jesus takes his disciples up to the mountain to pray with him. During their time of prayer, the disciples get sleepy. Okay, typical. Okay, anyone here ever got sleepy while they're praying? Give me a little wave here. Okay, we can all be honest. Wonderful. Okay, so you are like the disciples. They wake up, and Jesus is appearing before them, not in his natural state as a man, but in all of his heavenly glory. Okay, so he's beaming. He's going, you know, there he is. He's probably floating off the ground or something. There's Jesus. And heaven has invaded the mountain, and to top it all off, I don't totally understand it, but Moses and Elijah have also come down from heaven and are there on the mountain conversing with Jesus. And uh, the disciples are just kind of waking up, seeing this experience, and they almost missed it because they were asleep. Okay, so that's the context here in Luke chapter 9. Here, by the way, is a picture of me. Um, Do we have the picture? And two guys I disciple, okay, right over Mount Hermon. You see Mount Hermon there in the, in the back? There's some snow on it. Now, no one's face shone like the glory of God, and Moses and Elijah did not join us, although I was hoping they would. So anyway, that's a picture of us there, and we gave it a shot at least. So anyway, the scripture I want to focus on here this morning, you can put the scripture back up, is Luke 9, verse 32. That's going to be our key verse. Let me read that again, Luke 9, 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. This morning, I want to speak to us from the subject, staying awake. Staying awake. Like the disciples, I think many of us were very prone to miss what God's doing in our lives. And this morning, I want to explore two two things. And we talk about staying spiritually awake, spiritually aware of what God's doing in our life. First, I want to explore why. Why do we want a people, we want to be a people that stay awake and aware of God's presence throughout our day. And then how, how do we do it? How do we live out this mandate to be connected to God and express our love for him and be awake to his presence throughout our busy, modern, daily lives? Okay? Why and how? So why? Why do we want to stay spiritually awake? Why does it matter, okay, um, to engage with God throughout the course of our day? Let's start with exploring some of the background of the scripture. Okay, first of all, here in Luke 9.32, the word awake, it has a literal meaning, Okay? The disciples, I believe, were actually sleepy. Okay, that's what the text says. I think we can take it at face value that they were physically worn out. They hiked up a mountain, okay, to pray, and they probably got tired and kind of crashed and dozed off there, and Jesus just kept going. But the root of this word awake is gregaro, gregaro. It's a Greek word. You don't need to memorize that. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because many times in the Bible, it's not just translated as awake. It's translated as the word watch. 
It's translated as the word watch. And um, it speaks of staying alert and aware in a spiritual or mental state just as much as it does in a physical state. Does that make sense? Okay, so, you know, sometimes I find myself, when I read the Bible, I find myself kind of judging the disciples. Do you ever do that? You know, I, I tend to be a little more of a critical person. I'm working on that. But I, I'm, reading, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about the disciples. And, yeah, I mean, first of all, they're always falling asleep, right? Okay? Peter says really dumb stuff, okay? Thomas is a doubter, okay? And they're always getting rebuked for not having any faith, okay? So everybody, you know, Jesus is in the boat with them. They don't have any faith. They're somewhere else. They can't cast a demon out. They don't have any faith, okay? They never have enough faith. And so I think it's easy for us to judge the disciples. But imagine for a second being in their shoes. You meet Jesus, okay? You're fishing one day. He asks you to leave everything, okay? First of all, pretty big, pretty big ask, right? Um, then... Jesus takes them throughout the Middle East on foot. It's hot there, by the way. And they have nowhere to stay. So they're just believing for places to stay. And not only are they on this hot journey on foot with Jesus after having left everything, but crowds of sick and demonized people are following them around. Okay? Now, that doesn't sound like the most refreshing travel tour group to me. Uh, I don't know what would be, but definitely wouldn't be that. And then on their spiritual retreat, can we put the, uh, the mountain picture back up? On the spiritual retreat, Jesus takes them to a barren, undeveloped mountain, okay, that is now a ski resort in Syria because it's so cold, and they don't have any REI equipment to keep them warm, okay? So this is, this is the state of the disciples. Um, but the disciples in their exhaustion, which is totally under, you can take that down now, the disciples in their exhaustion, which is totally understandable, they almost missed out on the ultimate spiritual experience this side of heaven. They almost missed out seeing Jesus transfigured in all his glory and meeting Moses and Elijah, you know, it's kind of an add-on. So, I mean, man, this morning, I hope to awake your spirit. I hope to awake my spirit in the way that the disciples had to be awoken. I know the day-to-day complexities of our life are hard and monotonous. There's a lot of things that can distract us, that can take us away from God's presence. But my friend, Kurt Mailer, who's, who's been all over the world and done some incredible things, he says, this, he says this statement that kind of resonated with me as I was preparing for this message this morning. He says, we as modern-day believers don't have one big spiritual battle, battle we're facing. We don't have one big battle. We actually live in a war of 10,000 choices. We live in a war of 10,000 choices. And every day, the complexity of our modern lives, just all the things that are going on, our technology, our media, uh, things physically, maybe we're tired, these things tend to lull us to sleep and cause us to forget to become aware, forget to be awake to the supernatural presence of God, to the glory of God that God is wanting to reveal to us. Sometimes I'm afraid that I lose this war of 10,000 choices. But I also believe if I can remain spiritually awake, if I can remain spiritually alert to God's presence, then I can see the glory of God. That's what happened to the disciples, right? When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Simply put, we want to be spiritually awake because we don't want to miss out on the glory of God. We want to be a people that see the glory of God in our daily lives. We want to be a people that see the glory of God in our daily lives. If not us, who? Who is going to bring the glory of God to the city? If not now, when? When is it going to come? If not here, where? It's our responsibility. 
We want to be a people that bring the glory of God to San Diego and to the nations of the earth. So that's the why. Are you convinced? You want to see the glory of God? You want to be spiritually awake? Let's talk about the how. Okay, how are we going to do that? One of the things that changed my life in college was a meeting uh, with Robert, our lead pastor here, at his office. And I remember I came in. I've always been kind of a thinker. So I came in with all these different theological questions. Hey, what about this or this? This guy says this. This guy says this. This book says this. What's the way? What's the truth? And I remember Robert, rather than answering my question, sat me down and taught me how to study the Bible for myself. And he said, hey, you need to do this every morning to seek God on your own, be in God's word, and he'll speak to you and he'll lead you to the place you need to be. And I'm so thankful that Robert trained me how to meet with God rather than just answering my question. Because for me, it set me up for a life of learning how to stay awake to God's presence. To this day, I cherish my time alone with God in the mornings. Uh, At this church, we call it FaceTime, right? You guys heard that term, FaceTime. We call it that because in Exodus 33, the Bible talks about Moses speaking to God face-to-face like a friend. And that's the kind of deep relationship we want to have with our Father God. We want to speak to him like a friend. And my commitment is to spend time daily in prayer and reading God's word. However, this past year, I have been really challenged. It's been a a challenging few months for me. I've had a schedule that's grown busier. I've had some real issues with my living situation that have been stressful on my family. I've made some personal administrative blunders, okay, surprise, that have caused some issues in my life, okay? I'm learning how to parent, and I've got a child that has been a little more of a challenging sleeper. And so with all of these things, I found myself um, feeling, in the course of my day, just more and more anxious, just feeling more and more disconnected from God's presence. And, you know, knowing that, oh man, I want to be, I want to be hearing God. I want to be connecting to him, but something's been missing. Something hasn't been clicking. I haven't had the peace that surpasses all understanding in my heart, like the Bible promises. And I I was aware for a season that I was kind of falling asleep during the day, like the disciples and almost missing experiences that would have allowed me to see the glory of God. So through this journey, the first thing I want to say is I've learned it's absolutely necessary to begin every day with FaceTime and worship and prayer. That time in God's word is our life source. It sets the foundation for our day. It sets the tone for our day. It sets the atmosphere for our day. And it's, it's the thing that we need. It's the way God speaks to us. And it sets us up for success throughout the day. However, I found I was, I was spending time with Jesus in the morning, which is my heart and my desire. But then the course of my day... As things got more hectic and busy, I drifted farther and farther away from my awareness of God's presence. Has that ever happened to anyone else here? Good. I'm not the only one. Awesome. Okay. So John 15, Jesus says this. Jesus tells us to remain in his love. Say remain. Rain. So our heart and my heart is this awesome time I've had with God in the morning. I want to extend that through the rest of my day so I can remain in God's love and be fruitful like John 15 promises me. Okay? So that's my heart. That's my desire. I want you to know I'm still very much in process on this. Okay? I'm figuring it out. But next I want to share a few principles that have helped me over the past few months stay awake to God's presence, remain in his love, and be fruitful throughout the course of my day. Okay? And as I was praying for this message, I immediately thought of that little video game device, a Wii. Okay? You guys ever ever played the Wii out there? I think you're supposed to use a a handle so it doesn't fly off and hit the flat screen. But those, so, so we, that's the way we're going to remember this message this morning. And there's three points that I'd like to go over with us. This is how we remain awake to God's presence throughout the day. Worship, okay, intercession, and interruptions. 
Worship, intercession, and interruptions. This is the way that we remain in God's presence and stay awake throughout the day. Okay, first, worship. A few months ago, when I realized my heart was drifting and I wasn't remaining in God's love the way I wanted to, and the indicator of that was anxiety, by the way. That was the thing on my gas tank that was going back and forth. My little check engine light that let me know something was wrong in my heart. Obviously, um, yeah, we want to be worshipers. God's made us to worship. But Psalm 34.1 says this. Let me read this for us. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You know, we're made to be worshipers. I had the privilege of going to this event um, a few years ago uh, that was about DNA. And this guy um, brought all these DNA samples of 16 kind of DNA cubits long, and he had run them through this computer program. And what he had discovered is that everyone's DNA has a song. That there is a musical element when you map the DNA on a certain kind of map, that there's a melody that's played for 16 measures that kind of is the DNA map that everyone has. It was the most fascinating thing. He'd play swans. He'd play dolphins. You know, he'd play, um, I think he played a lion at one point, a seal. So it was amazing to think about how we're all wired in a way to worship. How we're all wired with a song in our heart that needs to be expressed to God, even in the natural way our body is created and built up. It's important reality to remember that we're made to worship. That that's how God made us. He made us to be in close relationship and to look at him. The Jewish people of the Old Testament, they saw no difference, okay, between worship and the rest of life. To them... Everything was worship. Here's how we know that. There's a word in Hebrew, okay? That word is avoda. Say avoda. That word is avoda. And it teaches us this concept. This word avoda is translated several different ways in the Old Testament. And I think it gives us an insight to how God views a lifestyle of worship. First of all, we see in Exodus 8.1, it's translated as worship, okay? God is saying, let my people go to to, to to Egypt, to Pharaoh, so they can worship. And the word there used is avoda. So avoda means to worship. However, in Exodus 34, 21, when they're reviewing the Ten Commandments and talking about working six days a week, the word avoda is used as well. It's used as work. So worship and work, those are interchangeable. And then Joshua 25, 15, where Joshua says, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What's written is, me and my household, we will avoda the Lord. Worship, work, and service. God views these things as one holistic, interchangeable reality in our lives. You can take that down. Think about it. For us today, we no longer have to go to a temple to worship God. The Bible says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So everywhere we go, we have an opportunity to worship and to be awake and experience the presence of God. So what I'm not saying in this message this morning is that we need to all go be monks, okay? Spending all of our time in prayer and worship. Rather, what I'm saying is I believe God wants us to infuse worship into the rest of our lives so we can be awake of aware of what he is doing in any given moment because this is the definition of worship I want you to hear this morning. To worship is to be acutely aware of the presence of God. To worship is to be acutely aware of the presence of God. Now, we can do that in all kinds of situations, can't we? We can do that when we sing, obviously, just like we were. We can be acutely aware of the presence of God. We can do it when we clean the house. 
there was a guy in church history named Brother Lawrence. And uh, he has a book, Practicing the Presence of God. You can read it. But people would go on horseback or come from all different areas to come and watch him at the monastery. Now, Brother Lawrence wasn't a famous monk. He, he didn't have a big role at the monastery. He actually, the lowest job, it was washing dishes. But people would come to sit at his feet as he washed dishes because the presence of God would radiate out of him. It was so that people would come and they would cry. They would experience God. God would speak to them. He would minister to them and speak into their lives while he was washing dishes. Brother Lawrence had realized that he could avoda, that he could be acutely aware of the presence of God just in the menial tasks of life, okay? Last week, uh, there was a great article in the New York Times about a guy named Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall. And Ryan Hall is an Olympic marathon runner for America. He lives in Northern California. And the article was all about Ryan Hall's faith, And about how God had spoken to him. He's a believer. He loves Jesus. He hears God. And this particular article is all about his journey of hearing God. God leading him how to train different ways in his Olympic training. And how he experiences God as he runs and as he works out. So even in physically demanding running. I don't know how you get there. I'm definitely not there. But we can worship. Okay. We can experience. We can be acutely aware of the presence of God. But for me... I find it really hard to stay awake through God's presence throughout the day. It's, it's a big challenge to me. And, you know, in the natural, we use alarm clocks to remind us to wake up, right? Okay? So I started thinking about this, and then I had three or four different people kind of speak into my life at different times. Hey, you have a routine, a morning routine. You wake up, you have coffee, you know, typically there's a baby diaper change in there somewhere, and then, you know, you feed the dog, let the dog outside, and then you're trying to spend time with the Lord. There's, there's a routine that we have every morning that helps us wake up. Okay, but we need to have a spiritual routine in our day that helps us become aware of God's presence. So there's a few ways we can do that. Obviously, worship music, just playing in the background, is really helpful, right? It connects us to God and reminds us that God is with us wherever we are. Um, You know, my wife used to work at the children's hospital, but when no one was in the office, that was an opportunity for her to put on the Pandora station that had different things about Jesus on there. And it wasn't like overt, crazy worship music, but it was just a place for her to release God's presence in her office. So there's a way that we can even, in our secular work lives, avoda and experience the the presence of God. Um, In my own life, there's just different rhythms that God's had me do throughout the day. So I remember my first job um, working at Dell Computers, I'd have a longer lunch break. So during that lunch break on Fridays, I would just spend time in the Bible. You know, I'd spend time in God's Word. There were some days where I'd drive out to this abandoned train station before work and pray and just prepare myself for my day. But I knew I was fighting a battle to stay aware of God's presence throughout my day. Eventually, I, um, it was a sales job, so I would sell things over the phone. And I heard about this strategy where after every sale... I would get a little post-it note, and I would write G3 on it, and I would put it on my cubicle. And I did that for a while. G3 stood, stood for give God glory. So it was a way for me to stay connected to God, to worship throughout the course of my day. No one need to know. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't have like a painting of Jesus and like a big, you know, glory, like, brag or something hanging off my cubicle or whatever and anointing oil all over it. But it was just, it was just this place of saying, Hey, this is my work. This is my worship to God. 
And I'm going to praise God for every, every victory I experience in my career in a practical way that will allow me to stay connected to him. And so recently I found myself, like I said, I was really struggling with an anxiety. I'm going to share a weird example. I hope it doesn't freak you out too much, but for me, I needed breakthrough. Okay. I needed something to connect me to the presence of God. So I had a mentor come in town and tell me that they had had some breakthrough in their life in this area by downloading an iPhone app. Okay. And setting a timer on their phone. So just like we set an alarm to wake up every morning, I set an alarm on my phone for every 20 minutes. Okay. And on the alarm, it would just do a little beep and then a buzz. And I would just remember, oh, Jesus is with me. The Holy Spirit was here. So I would just stop just for a minute and pray. Not like a long deal. I wasn't raising my hands. It wasn't like a big worship service, but it was a reminder to be acutely aware of the presence of God. I did, I want an experiment. I did this through the whole month of June. And just let me tell you, it brought breakthrough into my heart as I experienced peace and awareness, and I was allowed to be awake in God's presence. One quick story about that from our Lebanon trip. One morning, I was in my FaceTime, and I was praying. I was praying about the day in our Lebanon trip. And as I was praying, what I, what I, what I just envisioned while I was praying, I just felt, God, do you want to show me anything about my day? And I saw this in my imagination, a big white pillar, like a Roman pillar. And I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. I, I don't really expect to see a big Roman pillar in the middle of the Middle East, but we'll see what happens. So I, just, I took note of it and went throughout the course of my day. And I also was, was using my timer that day to remind me to pray and remember to listen to God. And so throughout the course of my day, I was walking around and just kind of looking. I was like, oh, the timer. Oh, yeah, God, you did speak to me about a pillar this morning. Well, maybe it's like a pillar of strength. Okay, God, I, I pray you'd make me strong today. You know, I was trying to work it through. And then the guy we were with, who's a good friend of mine, said, hey, we have a big opportunity today. We are going to get to go to a new mosque that's just been consecrated to Allah and pray. And I did not want to do that. <laughs> okay? That, that did not sound very fun to me. That sounded a little scary and just like something I was not interested in. But because I was submitted to my friend and he was leading us in the nation, I said, okay, we'll go. We'll pray. Just, you know. Make, help, help us make, do the right, make sure we do the right thing and don't mess anything up. So he said, okay. So we went to this big mosque that had just been consecrated in this city in Lebanon to pray. And as we walked in, you know, even the women that were in our group, they had to wear the traditional Muslim clothing. It was, just, it was a very intense feeling. And so we walk into this mosque just to silently pray for God to reveal himself to Muslims. And I'm, I'm freaking out. You know, I, I do not want to be there. You know, I'm kind of like, I don't know, looking for a demon behind every rock or something. I don't know what to do, but I was, I was just scared, to be honest with you. You know, I'm leading the trip, and I'm scared. I'm sorry, okay? So, um, so I'm walking around. I go into the big atrium of the mosque, and there it is, this big white pillar in the middle of this mosque. It was a Roman pillar. I don't know why it was in a mosque, but there it was. I forgot to mention the detail about the pillar. So as I saw this pillar in my FaceTime, as I was watching it, what I, what I remembered was I was like, what's going on with this pillar? And just in my imagination, I saw Jesus stick his head out from behind the pillar and go, hey, <laughs> just like that, okay? So that's what I saw in my FaceTime. And, and when I saw the pillar, I thought, oh, good, Jesus is here. And so I don't have to be scared. And I can tell you that we're talking about worship right now. I had one of the sweetest times with God I've ever had in my life experiencing God, praying for that nation, praying for the Muslim people. There was just an atmosphere shift in my heart as I became acutely aware of the presence of God. When we carry an atmosphere of worship inside of us, what's going on in this room, it can happen anywhere. 
Okay, it can happen on a mountain, Herman. It can happen in a mosque. It can happen at home, okay? This atmosphere of worship that we experience together, God's intent and God's heart is for us to carry that six days a week so we can see the glory of God and be awake to his presence in our city. That's God's heart for us. That's the call of the church. Worship, intercession, and interruption, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about intercession, okay? And... This is that moment where your notes get all mixed up, but I just found them. Great. Okay. Next point. Okay. Intercession. What's that mean? Intercession simply means to go between, to go between. So we, as followers of Jesus in our prayer life, we are called to be someone that goes between heaven and earth. Okay. That's why Jesus said in Matthew six, pray on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So our job is to intercede is to pray for the world around us so that we can experience God's glory here on the earth. So that God can show up, he can help people, he can lead them to Jesus, good things can happen, right? Okay, but here's what I found in my daily life. I'm worshiping, okay, maybe I've got my timer on, maybe I don't, maybe I've got, you know, a good Pandora station of some worship on, whatever's happening. I'm worshiping, and I'm staying awake to God's presence, and then life happens, Okay, (laughs) so anyone that's tried to cultivate an atmosphere of worship in their heart for any extended period of time will tell you it's not easy. Um, There's a reason, okay, that monks and nuns went and moved off to the wilderness to pray. It's a lot easier out there. Okay, so they didn't have jobs, news, bills, taxes, children. Okay, they didn't have any of that. The daily aspects of our lives can sometimes seem so unsupernatural. They can often times lead us to shift our focus, to not be awake to God's presence. But here's what I learned through the month of June as I did this little prayer experiment where every 20 minutes my phone just rang and reminded me to pray, not while I was sleeping, but just throughout the day, reminded me to pray and just and remember God's presence. I believe in my own life, and I think this might apply to some people here too. God wants to transition us from having a prayer life to having a life of prayer. God wants to transition us from having a prayer life to having a life of prayer. Yes, we need to wake up early and connect with God. It's the most important part of our day. But just as much as we need to wake up and develop a personal prayer life, I believe that what's going to transform this city is when people with a life of prayer and an atmosphere of worship in their hearts are outside in the culture believing for the glory of God. I think we're all, we could all agree there's a lot of challenges in the world. But that war of 10,000 choices... When we're presented with the challenges around us, what we do in those situations determines whether or not we're awake to the presence of God. So a few quick stories. I I heard a story this morning uh, from Michelle, one of our staff members, and she and John were up in Julian, okay, taking a day off, and I think they'd bought a Groupon. Is that right, Michelle? You bought a Groupon? Okay, and it was a Groupon fail, right? It didn't work. Okay, it was a fail, so something happened with the Groupon. I don't know what. I've used Groupons before. They were great, but for whatever reason, it didn't work for Michelle, and They were up in Julian with nothing to do. Now, for me, I would have been ticked off. Okay, first of all, waste of money. Okay, second, waste of gas. Third, waste of time. Okay, what a waste. Okay, so I would have been frustrated and probably just driven home, steaming, and then, I don't know, gone to Sonic or something. Who knows what I would have done. But John and Michelle, they didn't do that. Okay, they were faced with one of these little choices in the war of 10,000 choices. They were faced with a problem. Okay, and I was so impressed when I heard what they did. They didn't get frustrated. They didn't just go do their own thing. 
but they waited on God. Okay. Novel concept, right? Listening to God and asking him what to do. And so they prayed and God put on their heart, I think a a winery, right? That was nearby. Right. So they went to this place and they met a couple that was there to kind of just kind of party and live it up all day. They ended up spending two hours with this couple. And before they were leaving, the couple said, Hey, wait, aren't you going to pray with us? Before you go, and they're able to pray over these guys and minister to them and speak into their lives, all because they were awake to God's presence. Okay? There was an opportunity, there was something that God had for them in that area, and because they're people of faith, because they're listening to God, they got to sow into something in someone's life. Okay, just back in Colorado, we were we were hearing different stories of what God is doing throughout the world. And one of the things we got to hear about is a move of God, basically a revival, that's happening in a nation in the Middle East. And this is, when I say that, I mean over probably 10,000 people have, you know, come to faith in Jesus. And there's incredible things happening in society. And it's just a wonderful thing that God is doing in our day. But this is how it all started. I have a friend there. And he, um, he receives um, contacts from people on the radio that have expressed interest in learning about Jesus. So Christian radio is in that area, and people write in and say, hey, I want to learn about Jesus, and they send it in. And so my friend received two contacts one day of people that had written into the radio station to learn about Jesus. Here are the two contacts. One was a young 20-something guy, and he wrote a big game. You know, he was like, oh, I'm going to see the glory of God and God's going to move in the lives of my friends and all these incredible things are going to happen. And as he was looking at the report of, of who to contact, my friend was like, oh, man, we have to contact this guy. This guy is definitely going to be a world changer. He's the one I need to follow up with. The problem is my friend only had time to follow up with one person. And so then he got the other report about this 67-year-old guy and, the, he, you know, a little less personality um, the report said he has kind of a weird story. <laughs> so, you know, talk to him if you want, but it may not be anything. And so he was confronted with this really stellar report of someone that God would probably want to use or this other thing of just he wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And so he almost said on the telephone, hey, give me the young guy. And right before he did, he felt the Holy Spirit just speaking to his heart. Hey, you better pray about this. <laughs> and so he said, I'm going to call you back and pray. He prayed for a day. And as he prayed, he felt like God challenged him not to look at appearances. And so he took the guy with the weird story. The young guy never showed up for three appointments. The guy with the weird story had been going around to churches looking for people to invest in him because he had started leading friends to Christ. He didn't know what to do about it. And this was his last shot to get help from an outside Christian organization before he just gave up. And now there's a movement of thousands of people. When we intercede, okay, when we're willing to listen to God, when we're awake to his presence, we will see his glory. When we're asleep or frustrated or lazy or whatever, okay, we won't. Here's a scripture I'd love you to see. Luke 19.41. You'll have to turn there. I don't believe we have it. Luke 19.41. It's about Jesus. Some people are using their phones. Others are using their Bibles. Okay, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. This is about Jesus. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. You know, when Jesus sees groups of people, he weeps over them. Matthew 9 says that when Jesus saw crowds, he had compassion on them and he healed them. You know, when I'm in an airport... 
when I'm traveling to a different city, when I'm kind of on my way, that is not my perspective generally. Um, most of the time I'm frustrated at the security or I'm annoyed or I'm angry. Um, sometimes I'm scared, right? There's just a lot of things surrounding crowds, surrounding being out in the culture that, that can be challenging. But when we pray, okay, when we're willing to intercede, when we have an atmosphere of worship in our heart, then we're willing to say, okay, God, this thing out here, this is, this is a challenge. But rather than doing it my own way, rather than being scared, rather than just giving up, I'm going to listen to you and pray for a moment and ask you what to do. We have an opportunity to see the glory of God. That's how Jesus lived. I think that's how he wants us to live. Just as I was writing this message, um, I was at a, a, subway, a sub sandwich shop here in the area. I was working on my laptop, eating a sandwich, and this couple sat down at the, the table next to me, at the booth next to me. And they are, were one of those couples that goes from zero to 60 in about two and a half minutes, okay? And so after sitting down, after about two and a half minutes, there was, there was table thumping, there was cussing, there was storming in and out. I mean, it just exploded, right? And I'm sitting here working on this sermon about being aware of God's presence and not in God's presence at the moment and just feeling really distracted. And I felt in my heart, you know, the temptation to judge them. It's like, what is up with these people? What's their deal? But the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, hey, have compassion. Will you pray? Will you intercede? And that was such a good lesson for me to think about how many times are we missing opportunities to pray and release God's presence over people out in our community because of judgment, because of fear, you know, because we're doing our own thing. Uh, when Shelly and I first came to San Diego to explore the option of moving here, we were eating in a Mexican restaurant down in Coronado. And we asked the waitress at the end of our meal, we said, hey, is there any way we can pray for you? And I was so impacted by her response. She said, no one has ever asked me that. And I just thought, I have to move here. <laughs> I mean, that was just what I needed to hear. But imagine how many people have never been prayed for. How many people no one has ever come and interceded on their behalf that God would reveal himself to him. That's our opportunity as believers. That's our opportunity as people of the spirit to seek and release God's presence over people. Okay, worship, intercession, interruptions. Okay, interruptions. Okay, when we live a lifestyle of prayer and worship, we are setting the scene for an invasion of God's glory. When we choose to be awake, okay, like the disciples on Mount Hermon, we get the opportunity to see the glory of God. Have you ever noticed how Jesus was always getting interrupted? Maybe you've never thought about it before. If you haven't, I want to challenge you to read the book of Mark, okay, in the New Testament. Let me just read a few things that happen in the book of Mark, okay? Mark chapter 1, Jesus is preaching and gets interrupted by a demon, okay? Not what a preacher wants, okay? Mark 2, Jesus is preaching. People cut a hole in the roof and lower their friend through it, okay? Very distracting, okay? Mark chapter 3, Jesus is preaching. He's tired and trying to get away, and crowds surround him, okay? A little freaky, all right? Mark 4, Jesus is wanting to take a day off and has to calm a storm. Mark 5, Jesus is on his way to preach, but a soldier's daughter needs healing, so he says, I'll go heal her. On the way, someone is grabbing onto his jacket and won't let him go until he heals them, okay? Jesus was constantly interrupted. Okay, and you get the point, right? Okay, so um, here's what I found over the past months um, as I have been kind of in this process of myself of wanting to be awake to God's presence. 
I started praying a simple prayer. A few people have told me it's not a good prayer to pray, but I've started praying in any way because I want to see the glory of God. I've started saying, God, I give you permission to interrupt me. God, I give you permission to interrupt me. And, um, you know, we're so prone to do our own thing. We have our own schedule. We have things we need to take care of every day in our little war of 10,000 choices. But when we're open to interruptions from God and awake to his presence, we have the opportunity to see the glory of God. Let me just share a few stories about God's interruptions over the past few months. Um, Again, I'm still learning about this and totally don't know how to abide in God's presence every moment, and I'm definitely not there. But there have just been a few things I've seen I thought have been cool. I hope they encourage you as you start this journey as well in your life. So first of all, I live in uh, kind of a, a, a nicer area, a little west of here called Kensington. We rent there. We're about to move. But in Kensington, uh, it's, it's pretty rare. You don't typically see people asking for money. Um, it's just not something that happens that much. But the day after I prayed this, I was walking to Starbucks in Kensington, and there was this guy just sitting there. And he looks up and says, hey, will you buy me a hot chocolate? <laughs> Very specific, right? So I thought, well, God, I said, you can, you can interrupt me. So sure, I'll buy the guy a hot chocolate. So that was kind of how this started. Okay, a few days later, I'm, I'm there in Kensington next to this elementary school. It's about 930. It's dark. And I'm walking my dog. And I'm just practicing, you know, being awake to God's presence, being aware of what he's doing. And I'm just picturing, you know, God's presence and trying to stay in God's presence. And I'm walking my dog and I have headphones on. And all of a sudden I hear this yelling. I'm like, what is that? So I take my headphones off and there's this guy in a car looking right at me. He's just cussing up a storm. He's just cussing me out. I'm like, what in the world is happening right now? I mean, this must be spiritual, right? I'm worshiping this. I'm not a genius, but ser- there's, there's something going on. And so I thought, okay, bless you, you know, and I'm just, me and Pepper are just trying to keep it cool. And um, I keep walking. I round the corner. And then another car pulls up. A guy gets out of his car. He starts cussing and just kicking the car. I mean, he's kicking the heck out of it, all right? And I'm like, this is like out of a movie, right? And so I walk up. Pepper's freaking out, my dog. And I say, hey, uh, excuse me, you need anything? And the guy just looks at me. He takes one look at me. He grabs his back. And he goes, oh, like that. And he doubles over. He says, I just got a hernia. I'm like, what? So... I go up to this guy and I say, do you need help with your car? So I help him push it like to this little area. Okay. And then he's like, it'll start if you help me push it down this thing. So he gets in, he's like doubled over it in pain. So I pray over the car. He, he turns the key. It starts. Okay. And then I look at him and said, Hey, I believe you're under spiritual attack right now. Can I pray for you? Okay. And so I'm, I love Jesus, you know? And so I just put my hand on him and said, Jesus, come and fill this man. You know, any, anything that he's dealing with right now, that's not from you. I just tell it to leave. And I release your presence over him in your name. Amen. And he goes, Whoa. Yeah, I think he probably thought I was an angel or something with a dog. I don't know what he thought I was. Um, And uh, he goes, whoa, today was the worst day of my life. Now it's the best day. And then he just drove off, okay? So if you're here, sir, it wasn't an angel. It was me, the training pastor, okay? I'm here to help you. Okay, so that, that happened just a few days later, okay? Okay, since then, I've been on several airplanes, Five times on different airplanes. This has never happened to me before in my life, okay? I've been either going to the bathroom or sitting in my seat, and someone next to me is either passed out or doubled over in pain. 
like I literally one time I went to the rest when the restroom lavatory, I walked out and there's a guy right there. He's lied down on the ground. Okay. Talking to the stewardess, asking if there's anything she can do about his pain. And then he looks at me and I'm like, just walking out of the bathroom. I'm like, hello, you know, I'm here. Yeah. So I've had the opportunity to pray for all these people that were hurting or sick or had issues going on because I've prayed, God, will you interrupt me? Let me tell you, it's been very inconvenient. Those are times where I'd rather have slept. Okay. So I've been learning about being interrupted, a letting God come, being aware of his presence, just trying to stay awake to what he's doing, right? And then Shelly and I fly overseas with our eight-month-old baby, okay? Pretty hard environment on a plane to stay connected to God's presence, right? So first we drive to LAX. Thank you, Ryan Knapp, by the way. And uh, we drive to LAX and we go to the airport, we check in, and everyone in the airport is just in a flurry, and we realized President Obama and Air Force One has just landed at the airport, so we're stuck. The security is shut down. They're missing someone on our plane. And, yeah, we have to taxi for over an hour. No one's able to stand up. No electronics, nothing. It was really challenging. So we're behind. Then we fly overseas. We have a connecting flight in Europe. And then in Europe, we're late. So we're sprinting to our next flight. Like, Shelly has the baby strapped to her, okay, and we're running, okay? We don't really do that, okay? So we're huffing and puffing. Shelly said, this is why I never want to do the amazing race, okay? That was a good word. And we got on the Middle Eastern Airlines, got in our seat, okay? The food was not what I was hoping for. I got off the plane in Beirut. My friend picks us up. He's so gracious. But we get in his car, and he's forgotten all his seats. I don't know how you forget the seats out of your car but he did all right and so we're we're lying down in the back of our this car okay 19 hours into this journey and my friend turns around who's such a man of god such a man of faith he says hey do you want to go to sleep and eat or do you want to go join your group at the outreach because lydia had brought the team earlier and they were doing a bunch of outreaches and so i just thought well i want to go to sleep right but i had been worshiping a little bit, okay? And been trying to stay awake in God's presence. So I prayed, God, what do you want us to do? I said, the outreach tonight is important. You need to be there. So I said, hey, we'd love to go to the outreach. <laughs> and uh, so we pulled up um, to the Corniche, which is a boardwalk there in Beirut, Lebanon. Okay, we pull up. And do we have the Corniche picture of all the people on the boardwalk? This is from a different night, but you can see there's just, there's just scores of people. I mean, this crowd would go that way. And that way, they're gathered around our group to hear about Jesus, okay? We would, they would, our group had been passing out DVDs. We heard one guy say after he got the DVD, he watched it 13 times, a Jesus DVD. This is how hungry people were for Jesus there, by the way. So we thought, oh, man, this is, I mean, I pull up in a taxi right to a scene like this. And I'm like, okay, so we get off from the airplane, and there we are, okay? We're in Beirut. Mark and different ones are preparing because they're about to do our drama. Now, those of you that have been to Mexico with us, you know, you know the drama that we do with the curtain. Those that haven't, we have a drama that we've done for years just to simply present Jesus to people on the streets. It's the story of Adam, Adam's sin, then Jesus coming and rescuing Adam from Satan, and then Jesus is crucified. And then after Jesus is crucified, there is a curtain that we pull up to kind of hide Jesus. And then he puts, like, this robe back on and then pops out of the curtain and rips it. The curtain represents death. And he says, yeah, it is finished, life and then that's the way the drama ends, just with Jesus presenting the glory of God. And then someone will share the story of Jesus and how he saved us from our sins. So that's the drama. And I've seen this drama, I don't know, maybe a thousand times. I've seen it a lot, okay? So um, probably 500, who knows? So anyway, that's not important. But I, I'm just trying to be accurate. But um, so, so they're doing the drama, okay? And I'm watching it. 
and all these Lebanese people are gathered around and watching it. And as I'm watching, I've noticed the Lebanese people have definitely stopped watching the drama, okay? So I'm thinking, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on, but they're not really paying attention. Instead, they're all pointing, okay, out, out onto the water, okay, about 200, maybe 300 yards out in the water and in, up in the sky, kind of triangular from us, right above the drama. They're all pointing, all of their cell phones out. They're, they're videoing. Okay, people are pointing. This guy looks at me next to me and goes, that is definitely not an airplane. That's what he said, okay? And I look up above the drama, and what you should know, a few things. First of all, um, in the drama, there's a song during this part of the drama, and the song goes like this. There is a light that shines in the darkness. There is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus. That's how the, that's how the song goes that's in the drama. So that, that song is playing. There is a light. And I'm looking, and all of the Lebanese people are pointing, yelling, videoing with their phones at this light, okay, that is hovering over our group, okay? Now, to this day, I still don't know what it was, okay? If you look online, some people say it was a UFO, okay? Other people say several countries have claimed responsibility for this light somehow. But people kept coming up to us. Oh, did you play the video? Okay, play it again, um, or maybe that's just a picture. So the light kind of starts with this triangular thing, and then it turns towards our group. You can see that over Beirut there. Um, and creates this crazy spiral, okay? And then just kind of stops. It goes on for about 30 seconds. And then people just come up to us and say, hey, what'd you bring the light for? I mean, it's like I had something to do with it, okay? So maybe it was God. Maybe it was a miracle. I don't really know, to be honest with you. I mean, my faith tells me that it is. At the same time, there's a rational side of me that's still trying to figure this out. But I will tell you that definitely the timing was from God. I mean, singing, there is a light. A light hanging over you as you're preaching the light to the darkness. It doesn't get much better than that, people. When we allow God's interruptions into our life, we will see the glory of God. Uh, the people that were on the trip will tell you that moment brought a shift to our trip, as it probably would for your trip as well, where we began just to see salvations, people coming to Jesus. We began to see supernatural healings, just God touching people. It was astounding as Jesus was just showing us that something is happening as we allow him to interrupt our daily life. Pretty cool, huh? I'm still kind of thinking about it. I don't know. But... Um, I don't really know exactly what happened again, but just let me tell you this. God was definitely in the timing, and there was something going on in the spirit where he was letting people know he is the light all over the Middle East. We want to be a people that see the glory of God, okay? I don't want just the Middle East to go out on the street and see crazy things and people to be hungry for God. I want it on San Diego, too. Do you guys want it here? Okay, so we want to be people that have worship in our heart. The worship that's in this room, we want to carry it in our heart. We want to be people of prayer that intercede for the world around us, even when we're faced with inconveniences and obstacles. And we want to be a people that allow God's interruptions into our life. The band's going to go ahead and come on up. And I'm going to share two quick scriptures with us for two different groups of people this morning. Let's go ahead and stand as we end our message in your time this morning.